All right, well, good morning. If you have a Bible, grab it and make your way to Matthew chapter 7, where Sarah was reading from. We are going to finish up our series through the Sermon on the Mount today, and uh, it's amazing the difference that a day can make. If you had if you'd been here yesterday, or if you were here yesterday uh, and looked out in the hall, it, it looks as if this was a scene from the show Hoarders. It's, I mean, the, the halls were full of groceries, and it looked like it was a scene from the show Hoarders, which actually, if you remember that show, was pretty gross. Uh, you'd have people who, uh, you know, were about to lose their kids or something because they hadn't taken the trash out in like a year. Um, people who had, you know, 87 dishwashers in their front yard, uh, just crazy, just people, their houses were so full of junk, they could not go from one room to the other. It was pretty gross. And so the show, the whole premise was they would bring in organizers, they would bring in psychiatrists uh, to try to help these people because something was obviously wrong, uh, whether it was a, a, a mental health issue or just abject laziness, something was wrong. And so they would bring in people to try to help these individuals understand, hey, you have a problem. And so what they were trying to do is get them to hear them. And not just like a physical, it's going in one ear, you know, I hear the words that are coming out of your mouth, but a like actual, like hearing and the understanding of, of hearing, a heartfelt hearing that, okay, yeah, I, I, I get this. This is serious. You're right. And I need to do something about it. But where the rubber hits the road for them is whether they will actually do it where they'll actually do what it is that they are asking them to do. And friends, this is exactly how Jesus closes his Sermon on the Mount. As we saw last week, he's warning against the possibility of being a false disciple. And so he closes out his sermon by driving home the fact that the greatest test of discipleship is whether or not we will actually do what He says. And not perfectly, obviously. But are we serious? Are we endeavoring in that way? Do we take His Word serious as a call to us and to action? And so if I was going to summarize these final verses here uh, into like just a couple of words, uh, this is the way I would summarize it, and I encourage you to write this down. Saving faith is a lived faith. That's what this, this whole little paragraph, pericope section right here is saying. Saving faith is a lived faith. Like true faith. True discipleship. Like saving faith. You've been rescued from hell. You've been redeemed by the grace of Jesus. You've been saved. Friends, this will be manifested in your life. If that's happened, it will be manifested in your life. In other words, you won't just be a hearer, you will also be a doer. And it's those two aspects that really frame the entire message this morning. The, the whole thing's built around those two things, that true disciples, and disciple just means follower of Jesus, that's, that's all that word means, someone who follows Jesus, True disciples are those with 
saving faith, well, true disciples, yes, they need to have that, but true disciples are those who hear the word and those who do the word. And so in your sermon guide, I want you to notice that great big bold and. Like this is super important. True disciples are those who hear the word and, and do the word. It's both of those, not an either or. It's both. Not just hearing, it's hearing and obeying. And so like I said, we're going to hit both of those, but the, the weight of the text here really is on that second point. And so the weight of the sermon will really be on that second point as well. And so let me just read it again, what Sarah just read, and then we'll just jump, jump into talking about those two things. True disciples hear the word, true disciples do the word. So chapter 7, verse 24 again. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And so it's obvious here, even from a cursory reading, that, that hearing is important. Both these people hear the word they both heard it. Like that's an aspect of being a true disciple. That you hear the words of Jesus. That is the Bible. That is the, the word of God. These are the words of Jesus. This is the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for training in righteousness, for, for reproof, for correction. That the man or woman of God might be complete, equipped for every good work. Like You've got to know what the Word says, but the Word isn't just so that you know it, it's so that you do every good work, so that you do what it says, what it calls you to do. And so it's obvious we need to hear God's Word, and that's part of the reason you're here this morning. And that's part of the reason we gather as a local church. A true, true disciples attend church regularly, part of which, part of the reason for that, not totally, but part of that is to hear the word taught by pastors, elders, overseers of the church that you're a part of, that know you and love you. That principle, preaching the word of God, Old Testament, New Testament, has always been like the central, most important, most basic, ongoing act of the church like you can strip everything else away and you look at what the early church did in acts chapter 2 they gathered for the apostles teaching and for celebration of the ordinances that's the most basic thing that the church does and so this this time of, of gathering for the the public teaching of god's word is not like a an optional package if you go buy a car well i'll take the preaching package i'll take the attending church package no that's a base model base model is you gather with the church. In fact, that's what church means. Church literally means assembly. The Greek word is ekklesia. 
And that literally means assembly. So the most basic, fundamental, outward act of Christianity is gathering, assembling together underneath the preaching of God's Word. We are to read it, sing it, pray it, teach it, and see it. And we see it through baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so we are to to hear God's Word. And not just to hear it in, 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 you know, what we, all right, well, I hear it and I'm going to make it mean what I want it to mean. No, 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 we want to hear what God actually said. And so whenever I'm preaching or whenever you're studying Scripture on your own, your goal is authorial intent. It's a big word, authorial intent. And all that means is like, what did the author mean when he wrote it? Not what can I spin it to mean. No, what did the author mean when he wrote this in his original context? What did he mean? That's what we're trying to pull out and explain and illustrate and apply to our lives. Authorial intent. And so we are to hear the word. And we do other things and listening to sermons by other good, uh, far better than me preachers. That's a good thing. Studying the Bible on your own. We encourage you to do that. Please, please do that. We should do that. Being in, study, in small groups together, community groups, Bible studies, these are good things. We facilitate these things. We, we work to make these happen. These are great things. Please do that. But always remember, those are supplemental, never a replacement for this time. Hebrews chapter 10. God's standard pattern is for His people to assemble. For the preaching of his word. And so we must hear the word. Like true disciples do that. True disciples hear the word. They hear it in their local church that they've covenanted with. And they hear it in their homes as they read it themselves. If they are able to read. A lot of times in church history and even today. Certain places people can't read. But if you can. And if you have a Bible. And you have any understanding of the history of how you had that Bible. The number of people who died so you could have a Bible translated. Cherish the Word. Hide it on your heart. We need to hear God's Word. True disciples hear His Word. And so in a lot of ways, it's kind of like football. This, this final section, you know, he talks about, you know, <clears throat> builders and a house and a foundation, that sort of thing. It's, in a lot of ways, it's, it's very similar to the game of football, which has been really, really weird this year with, you know, games canceled, games postponed, uh, quarantined players. So one, one week your team looks like this, the next week your team looks like this because of who's quarantined and who's available and whatnot. It's just been a very, very weird year. You've got athletic administrations having to cut non-revenue sports because there's no revenue coming in through football to pay for those sports. It's just very, very weird. But the basics of like football don't change. Blocking, tackling. But then there's also just kind of that fundamental, pretty, you know, fundamental aspect of you learn the playbook. That's what football players need to do. It's a basic thing. You need to understand the playbook. And so all season long, whether it's this weird year or uh, in normal years, you know, 
players will be in the film room. They'll be studying film and coaches will be explaining things to them. They'll be explaining formations. They'll be explaining, you know, what are the, you know, what are the keys and, and, and who are you to read in this situation? And what's, what's the audible you would check to if, if there's this formation and this is showing? Like, what are all those sorts of things? And so, note this. Those players, they read the playbook. They study the playbook. Right? They need to do this. They memorize the playbook. Good things. But it ultimately comes down to game day. Do they execute the plays? Do they run them? And that's the main point that Jesus is hammering home in the text before us this morning. That the Christian life is not just knowing the playbook, but it's actually running the plays. And it's not enough that you read the playbook. It's not enough that you love the playbook. It's not enough that we form study groups around the playbook and we memorize the playbook. All these things are good. But ultimately, we've got to stink and run the plays in the playbook. We've got to do them. Not just hear. We've got to do. Saving faith is a lived faith. I'm sure we've got to know it. We've got to know what the plays are, but we've got to run them. And so looking at your sermon guide again, that's why it says true disciples hear the word and, and that's in bold, and, number two, they do the word. They, they obey. Okay, They're not the hoarder who, you know, they come and say, hey, you're going to lose your 37 cats if you don't take the trash out. They take the trash out. True disciples, like, do what has been Ask of them. They obey. And again, not perfectly. Jesus does not call us to perfection. Because we're fallen, we're flawed. The the, spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We're going to struggle. But do we strive in this way? Do we endeavor? Do we fight for it? And Jesus says this, this obeying, this doing of the Word shows the difference on whether or not our faith is authentic or phony. Because notice, and you probably already have, this parable isn't about like the religious and the irreligious. It's not what the parable is about. The parable is talking to church folk, right? I mean, look, look at verse 24 again. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And so both of these people are hearing Jesus. Both of these people are are Jesus listeners. And so this is not talking about people who aren't at church somewhere in the world today. This is talking about people who are at church. This is talking about us in here today. And he says there's two kinds of people at church. And only one kind is prepared for the coming storms of life. Both the practical storms and then the coming storm of God's judgment. And that kind is the obedient listener. The one who listens and obeys. 
And folks, remember, I mean, I've said this a gazillion times in the 12 years we've been here. Every single one of God's commands, from the don't do this to the do this, is about inviting God, in, God inviting you into the deepest life possible. Every one of them is God inviting you into the deepest life possible. God is not after your begrudging submission to a list of rules. He's not. And Christ says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And so when the Bible says, you know, don't go this way, that's not, you know, God saying, you know, down that way is this rich and beautiful and wonderful life and, and I, I don't want people to go that way because I'm just some you know, cosmic meanie in the sky. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, hey, death's down there. Don't go that way. Rather, come this way. This is what you really want even though you don't know it. This is what will be satisfying and true and life-fulfilling. Go this way. Every command of God is for your good. He never is like, you can't have that because I... No, 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 no. He says, that's death. This is life. Let's go this way. And we struggle with that because we are sinners and we don't trust Christ. We don't trust that God's actually for us. We think He's trying to keep things from us. Just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. It's the same thing we do. Can't have that fruit. Oh, He must be keeping something from us. I want that fruit. They eat the fruit. Oh, you should have listened. He was right. Right? We still do that same thing. But then also today, we have this, we live in this culture where feelings are facts. Where to feel something means it's true. And that's not true. Just because you feel something does not mean it's true. Or rather, we need to bring our feelings into line with the truth. If you want to argue that to feel something, therefore, somehow makes it true, then just think of what kind of an exhausting, non-foundational life you are going to lead? What that's going to mean is like your feelings one day, I mean your facts and your truth are going to be shifting and all over the place because one day for your truth for you one day is that life is amazing. And then the next day your truth is that life is horrible. And your truth one day is these people love me. And your truth the next day is these people hate me. It's just all over the place. But there is truth. And there is someone who loves you always and forever. And his name is Jesus. And yes, he calls us to the narrow way. And we looked at last week. We enter through a narrow gate and we walk down a narrow path. Yes. And yes, that means it's costly at times. It hurts at times. Yes. But watch this, look at this. As costly as it is, when we take the time to form the right spiritual foundation, when it's built on Christ and hearing Him and obeying Him, well, then we can endure anything, including all the storms of life that will come, no matter what they are. See, storms are going to come. They just are. 
It's one of the things I love about the Bible. It's truthful. It doesn't paint this rosy picture of everything's just peaches and cream. The Bible is just flat out truthful. And storms are going to come in your life. They just are. Kids will get sick. Kids will die. Kids will struggle to develop. Parents will get sick. Parents will die. You will get sick. You will die. And I'm not trying to be morbid. I'm trying to be honest. That's, I mean, the the death rate's 100%. There's no getting out of that. Cancer comes. Storm comes. COVID comes. Divorce happens. Heartbreak happens. Job loss happens. Losing your income happens. Losing your house happens. Losing your family happens. Storms come into your life from a gazillion different ways. Every single one of us in this room could talk about storms that we've seen in our own lives. And, and as a pastor, as an elder, like I have a front row seat for a lot of these. I see them. I walk with you in them. And then I experienced them. I've had storms in my life. And I'll have a whole lot more. Storms come. And so if you set your whole life up in a way where it's just as long as nothing goes wrong and all my little idols are safe, I'll be happy. That is a recipe for disaster. That is a recipe for collapse. Because something's going to go wrong. And if you've built your life without paying any attention to the foundation, then the flood comes and you're floating down the river trying to grab a foundation and throw it underneath. But if you've built your life, if you've built your house, on the rock of Jesus, you may be pressed down. The rain is going to fall. The waves are going to beat. You may be pressed down, but you won't be destroyed. Your house won't be shaken to the ground. Not in the momentary storms of life, and also not in the final and devastating storm of the future judgment of God. And so what Jesus is saying here is that it's both hearing and doing that produces this rock-solid foundation. It's both of those. I mean, if you look at verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And so the rock is obviously... Jesus, but the rock is is also those two things there at the top, hearing and doing. It's spiritual truth and obedience. That's the foundation. And so we need spiritual truth. We need the playbook. And we need the right playbook. Not some other team's playbook. Not your lost 16-year-old friend at school who has like 
you know, 16 years of life experience and them saying, here's the playbook you should follow, my life experience, right? Not your lost co-worker's uh, playbook, the right playbook, you need that, the one that's full of truth. And so if we need that, let me just ask you a couple questions. Are you consistent in gathering for worship to hear the word of truth? Are you consistent in that? And I know it's COVID and I know that and we have people and I'm glad those of you who are a little more high at risk are, are at home. We miss you. But when things are normal, are you consistent in gathering? Like we started this live stream service to serve people who are a little bit more you know, at high risk, but not to serve people who just want to sit home and stay in their PJs. You get up and you come gather. Are you consistent in that? Are you consistent in growing in groups? Again, I know it's hard right now and things are different. Are you consistent in being humble and being teachable? Being coachable? Are you, just, are you consistent in, in being discipled and discipling others? That's the culture we want here. A culture of discipleship where it's just happening. I mean, you need this to walk the life that God's called you to. It's one of the main reasons to join a local church. It's for this accountability. Are you consistent in reading your Bible? When you're trying to hear the word of truth, are you consistent in reading the Bible, listening to the counsel of godly friends who God has put around you to call you out, to point you in the right direction, and are willing to show you where you're blind, where you're a hypocrite, or where you're just being a total jerk. They're willing to help you see this. So you need the right playbook. But then you got to run the plays too. And so listen, here's the deal. Some of us in this room have a truth problem. We don't know the truth. And we need to hear the truth. We need to hear the word. Others of us in this room have an obedience problem. We know the truth. We just don't do it. Which one would you say you're on? We all struggle. Safe place here. I'm a sinner. Those of you who know me long enough know it well. Safe place. We're all sinners in here. Which way do you think you might struggle with one of these? And so Jesus is, I mean, that's what Jesus is pressing on us here. He's pressing on us, those of us who claim to follow him, those of us who hear him, he's pressing on us to consider whether you are actually a doer of the word or a hearer only. He's pressing that. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? That's okay. Let him press. Let him press. And here's how that plays out sometimes. Here's how, you know, this idea of, of being just a hearer of the word versus a doer of the word plays out. It's Christmas time right now, right? And so at least kind of in the air, the aura, the feeling of Christmas time is a, is a feeling of, of generosity, right? We want, there's just that kind of feeling in the air. But for the Christian, generosity is something that isn't just a mark one time of the year. It is just how we live. 
is to help us be distinct from the rest of the world, that we would be generous in giving a large percentage of our income to the local church and to uh, various ministries and to just people around us who are in need. Families that we discover weren't able to be served through the food pantry and they're going to go without Christmas and so we take care of it for them. Like this, is just, this is to be all year long. It, it distinguishes us. And listen, everybody loves the idea of generosity. Everybody does. Nobody is in, the wor- in the world has been like, you know what, the problem with the world is generosity. And it's the same thing with the, uh, you know, with the Beatitudes. We'll take peacemaking and, <clears throat> and being merciful. No one is saying, hey, the problem with the world is peacemaking. The problem with the world is, is being merciful. No one says that. Everyone agrees with the idea of generosity and the idea of peacemaking and the idea of being merciful. Everyone loves those ideas, but they don't necessarily like the application of generosity on their lives. They don't necessarily like the application of what peacemaking would demand change in their own lives. It's kind of like the Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy who wrote uh, War and Peace. Those of you who read that in high school or read the Cliff Notes. He wrote this. Everybody thinks of changing humanity and nobody thinks of changing himself. And so to be a hearer only is to be one who's like, oh, that's good. Yeah, we need to be a generous people. Yeah, we need to be a merciful people. Yeah, we need to be a peacemaking people. But then they just walk out the door and never consider how that would be played out in their own life. They don't do it. It's a good idea. I ain't going to do it. Don't consider how it would be played out in their life, in their school, in their workplace, in their home, in their gym and their social media accounts, every sphere of life that you have. Instead, it's just, as one guy put it, simply these things are just are simply more platitudes and religiosity for you to kind of regurgitate to others who ask a question. It's just platitude. You don't believe it. You don't live it. You don't, it's just And Jesus is saying when we do that, we are at best a fool. And at worst, we're self-deceived. And you think you believe it, but you don't believe it because you don't do it. And, and specifically, like in, I mean, this is a sermon. Jesus is finishing a sermon. I try to finish my sermons on a high note. Jesus is just going for the jugular. So maybe I should switch that around a little bit. But that's what he's doing. But he's, he's, he's preaching a sermon. And so when he, when he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine, he's specifically talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And so what are these words that we're to hear? What is he talking about that we need to do? He's talking about loving your enemies. Do you do that? Do I do that? He's talking about loving our neighbors, living counterculturally, being merciful, being a peacemaker, being kind. Do you do that? 
Does that mark your life? Are you just a hearer? That's, those are good ideas. Not retaliating. Not fighting fire with fire. Do you do that? This is all the stuff we've gone over since August 9th. Not doing unto others what they did to us, but doing unto others what we wish they would do to us. Not being like, well, they did this to me, so I'll do that to them. That's not how a Christian lives. Well, if it was right for them to do it, even though it's kind of wrong, but they did it, so I'm going to justify it, that I can do this. Do you do that? And yes, we'll be taken advantage of if we live this way. Yes, we will be mistreated if we live this way. Of course we will. The Lord Jesus was. You expect not to be? If we follow Jesus, that's what it means. And our call is to follow Him, not to avoid mistreatment. Our call is to follow Him, not to avoid being taken advantage of. That doesn't mean I'm like looking for, hello, everybody, come mistreat me, come take advantage of me. You're not a martyr's complex in this, but a following of Christ, regardless of the cost. It's a narrow way. We're to be distinct from the world. Both the secular, scary world that's out there as well as the people who use God as a rallying cry that don't live anything like the Sermon on the Mount. In other words, hearers of the Word only. Who Jesus calls fool. Now we're to hear and we're to do. This is the call of Christ on us. Know the playbook. Run the plays. And so where are you? Self-introspection time, self-examination time, Holy Spirit come, search our hearts. Which of these two would mark your life? Do you hear and obey? Or do you hear only? Are you a wise man who, whose house is really on a solid foundation? Or are you a fool who has same looking house, same location because the same storm hits it? Everything looks the same. Only difference is the foundation. As we allow this to settle in our hearts today, this morning, maybe you are coming to the realization that I. I am self-deceived. I have been. I'm the guy from verse 21 that says, Lord, Lord, but I've actually never trusted Christ. I've never truly repented and believed. If that's what's flooding down on your heart right now, here is the grace of God towards you. You're here today. He's speaking to you right now. He's opening your eyes to this reality right now. He's trying to draw you in. If he did not care about you, uh, he, think about all the things that have to, had to happen for you to be here today. And you are. And he's talking to you. 
listen, hear, and obey, respond, trust Christ. He's calling you in. You don't have to be deceived anymore. Come on in. Or maybe you're here this morning, you're like, I don't think I'm self-deceived, but I realize I haven't really been running the plays. My life doesn't really look like Sermon on the Mount. I've gotten sidetracked, I've lost sight of main things, I've, I've chased after false saviors, I've, I've, I've been more motivated by, by fear than by pursuit of Christ. Been far more like kind of what I'm against than what Jesus says we should live for. Here's the good news for you. Jesus' message to you, if that's you, you're feeling that conviction, you're feeling that weight, you're feeling that guilt of I, I don't live, I don't obey like I should. Jesus' message to you isn't shave up, do more, try harder. No, Jesus is calling you friend. And he says, friend, right where you're at, right there in the grief and in the conviction and in your brokenness over your sin, right there, that's where I do my work. There, that's where I do my work. That's where I'll meet you. And Jesus loves to do that work. Let me be reminded of what Jesus came to do. He came to bind up the wounded. He came to heal the broken. He came to proclaim good news to the poor in spirit. He came to set the captives free. And He loves to do that. It gives Him joy. His heart is spring-loaded towards that. Sometimes we think that the gospel, like the freedom, uh, the freedom, you know, Setting the captives free, binding up the wounded, healing the broken. Those are things that happen at the moment of salvation. That's what we think. And yes, they do. But they happen every single day for the rest of your life till you go home to be with Jesus. He continually binds up your broken heart. He continuously heals your brokenness and, and sets you free from captivity that keeps trying to encroach on you. You've been set free, yes, and you are continually being set free. And when the second advent happens and he comes again, you will be set free for all time. It's an already and not yet thing. And so if that's you and you're noticing that this morning, he's not wagging his finger at you. He's saying, come on, let's do this. I got you. I'll do this. I will work through you. Trust me. me, Let me have you. Let me have you. And here you're going to have to do some work, but I got you. Let's do this. And so turn to him. If you've gotten away from living this way, if you've gotten away from obeying him, and we all do at times, right? I mean, most of the time. Right? Turn to him afresh and let his 
an avalanche of affection and mercy and love and grace wash over you afresh this morning because this too is part of hearing and doing. This too is what it means to be a true disciple. It means stumbling forward. It means repenting again and again and again and again and again and leaning into His life in your place, His death in your place, His resurrection in your place again and again and again. And learning and growing and changing, or better yet, being changed by God's grace. This is hearing and doing. This is what it looks like. And so in these moments, let's take stock of our lives. Yeah. Are we hearing God's word and are we doing it? But let's not get amnesia on His grace to us. He is not short on mercy like we are. And He does not need to be provoked to love like we do. He's spring-loaded for it. He is rich in mercy. So kind. Let's pray. Father, I do pray You would give us eyes to see where we're at. And that we would be truthful with that. That if we're self-deceived, we wouldn't continue to try to deceive ourselves that we're not self-deceived. But if we've just gotten away from, from things, we've been sidetracked, we've been blinded for a little while, Lord, that today is a day that you give sight to the blind. And so, Father, I pray that you would bring a revival of kindness and vintage Christianity to our land. But Father, that it would that we would apply that first in our own hearts. That you would bring a revival of kindness and vintage Christianity, Sermon on the Mount, doing to our hearts. And that we would know that you are cheering us on. And that you come close to the broken. You meet us there, you do your work. And so, Father, have your own way with us. Have thine own way. In Christ's name.